Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Yo guys, we have got a great conversation lined up with Frank Tefano. Frank Tefano is a YouTube star and a carnival advocate. He's been living that way for many years. Uh, dare I say he's one of the, the OGs in this space. Uh, whilst young, he's incredibly accessible, incredibly talented, very knowledgeable in the space of nutrition and nutrient density. Uh, I love the work he's doing to fight the anti-meat movement and give some reality to the discussion. But we're going to get straight into it. There are a ton of things we do discuss. I'm actually going to pop them all in the show notes. So you can get into the show notes on adaptnation.io or through your podcast platform. Take a look at what we're about to talk about just to give you a sense check. But we're going to get straight into it now with Frank Tefano. Hey guys, really excited to have this conversation with our awesome guest today. Those that follow me on Facebook probably know that I find myself getting triggered almost on a daily basis with vegan propaganda, that I oppose the arguments posed about the nutrition, animal suffering and sustainability aspects of that discussion, that I feel that we'll be induced for the benefit of profits and flawed ideology. And you also know that I've been a big proponent of animal nutrition featuring in my diet forever. And that recently I've been shifting to a way of eating which is more animal-based and less plant-based. So in a world with increasing noise, fanfare, and pseudoscience around the vegan diet, there is a need in my mind for two things. One, for the useful and true nutritional information regarding the historical and current values of animal nutrition to reach us. And two, for many informed individuals to stand up against this disinformation of the anti-meat and vegan propaganda that spreads like wildfire, gets blindly accepted as fact, and lives in perpetuity. Then you need, I think, huge amounts of money and huge amounts of reach. An issue that makes it so hard to challenge the status quo. But more importantly, I think you need more than that. The reality is the biggest demographic embracing the vegan movement is the 16 to 30 year olds. You need relatability. You need to meet the demographic where they hang out. You need to be likable, entertaining, non-apologetic about ruffling some feathers whilst also being a trusted authority with integrity. And that is exactly the profile of our guest today. We have the young, daring, intelligent and passionate YouTube star Frank Tefano on the podcast. Now, Frank has been a YouTube star for quite a few years now. He's amassed over 50,000 followers, gets tons of views, and is a modern-day proponent of the carnivore way of eating, and more in particular, has a focus on raw nose-to-tail carnivore dieting for the last several years. He's an awesome educator of nutrition and nutrient density, as well as eating great quality red meat, and also calling BS on popular vegan YouTubers and celebrities. More than that, he's a self-star, he's an entrepreneur, and he's also dabbled with the TV. So Frank, my man, welcome onto the Adapt Nation show. Thank you. Yeah, no, it all started, uh, interestingly enough, about seven years ago when 
I had some health issues after taking a, a, a drug for acne called Accutane. You know, this led me to exploring uh, diet and general nutrition, and I came to the conclusion that you know a ketogenic, a high fat style paleo diet uh, might be the best for my health, and that ended up being really a meat only diet with lots of animal fat. So I followed that for a couple of years, experimented a lot. My health got much better. And a few years into that, you know, I felt like with how much my health had improved, I had a really important message to share with people. And I, you know, I made it a goal in about the middle of 2016 to start my YouTube channel. And since 2016, I've been making YouTube videos since. Uh, oddly enough, you know, my YouTube channel, it took a while to take off. It didn't really start growing until the end of last year. Uh, so I was making, you know, videos with basically the nutritional knowledge I have now uh, for a long time while having a fairly low viewer base. And then things shot up, uh, you know, improved video quality, improved sound quality, all that type of stuff. And one thing that really contributed to the growth of the channel was, you know, calling the vegans out on the BS, the propaganda. Initially, you know, I've always been a humble person, or at least I like to think so. And along the way, I realized that, you know, humble doesn't get you where you want to be. You know, I'm, I'm the last person that wants to talk negatively about other people. You know, do I want to at heart call out people? No, I'd, I'd rather let people mind their own business. Uh, but you know, so many of my viewers and my viewer base was asking me, Frank, critique the vegans. What do you think about vegans? Blah, blah, blah. I ignored it for a while and it got to the point where I couldn't ignore it. And you know, the initial response to me talking about it was huge. So that's been a, a big part about growing my channel over the past few months. And now it's become a kind of element of my YouTube channel, you know, a fair bit of the content. And it really coincides because if I want to promote a nutrient-dense animal-based diet, I have to kind of talk. There's a lot of people pushing against me, and I have to address those things. You know, I've addressed uh, this week both vegans as well as just the general public media. It's not just vegans. You have the public media, and not even that. You also have uh, – there are people even in keto and carnivore diet communities that also have, you know, predisposition to – grain-fed meat, factory farm meat. There's a whole bunch of problems right now, and there's not too many people with integrity. Yeah, I agree, man. I'm, it, as I said in, in my kind of intro, I am getting triggered almost daily. My wife has had enough, man. <laughs> she's, she's like, talk about something else for me, for God's sake. But it's mm -hmm. everywhere. The more, you, the more you open your eyes to just how much blatant disinformation there is around promoting, quite frankly, Frank, <laughs> processed food, right? This really is what we're talking about. I, I really don't see enough messaging around the idea of local, fresh and seasonal whole foods, whatever the, whatever the variety, animal, plant-based. It all really is centered around fake mm. butchers. You know, I saw a couple of days, or today actually, there is a meat-free butchers opening I, I, up. I've seen that. It's ridiculous. You can't call a butcher, <laughs> you can't call it a butcher if you're selling soy protein processed crap it's it's comical insane right and they're, 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 over in uh, the uk we have we have uh, one of our delicatessens is fish and chips we, we love fish and chips and we've got the first vegan fish and chip shop opening up in uh, the northern part of the uk and the more i see all of this stuff i just go look guys like there's there, there seems to be this overwhelming applause and appreciation for the good 
that humanity is putting together with all these companies, large and small, bringing out their vegan products, like as if they care massively, massively about the sustainability, about um, you know our health and about animal welfare. When in actual fact, all I see is people wanting to make money, just like the vaping industry a few years ago, right? Everyone jumping on that like as if it was mm. wildfire. I mean, talk to me a little bit about your passion, Frank. I mean, I, I can see it through your videos. It's clear. I think you try and you, you you try and give a lot of nutritional information. You you quip a lot. You try and bring some entertainment. You don't get too triggered. But where is your passion coming from? Because you are fighting uh, a bit of a losing battle. At least that's how it feels in 2019. Oh, for sure. It's, it's definitely a losing battle. Uh, it, it's funny. I was watching videos, uh, and my viewers send me a lot of stuff like this. Of the night, there was like a video in the 1940s about how to become a beautiful girl, like pretty. It was like a guide for women on how to become pretty. And in the guide, they were talking about how you had to eat balanced meals. And the balanced meals they gave as a sample in that video was like meat, fish, eggs, dairy. And they were saying you shouldn't be drinking soda pop and candy bars and sandwiches, you know. And that's pretty much all the food we eat now. So even just even just 50, 60, 70 years ago we were eating much healthier, more meat, more animal foods. And let, let alone thousands of years ago, you know, the diets our ancestors followed. But I've, you know, experienced firsthand, uh, you know, a lot of health issues with my family. And I've also seen how unhealthy and how unhappy people are around me. And, and tying that back into seeing how healthy, you know, our hunter-gatherer ancestors were, how they were free of degenerative disease, like heart disease, diabetes, all, obesity, all, all of these modern issues. And then translating that to like, well, if, you know, my family had been raised on a proper diet and they were healthy, everyone would be happy and beautiful and we'd be in, in a much better place. You know, my, my sister is mentally disabled. I'm actually a triplet, so I have a brother and a sister. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately, my sister uh, didn't get enough nutrition in the womb, ended up having developmental disabilities. And essentially her whole life is, I hate to say ruined, but, you know, she'll never be able to achieve things that normal people would achieve because of that. And then my mother had, you know, pretty much, she might as well have walked into a butcher shop instead of a hospital. Uh, when they did her C-section, she ended up getting a blood disease, kidney transplant, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, her issues combined with, um, you know, my father's uh, issues, like he was in the hospital with her, obviously going through for many years with her in the hospital. And, and then compounded by the fact that, you know, pretty much my entire family I think there's a lot of mental issues associated with things. And I'm not going to say specifics, but it could be anything from alcohol to gambling addiction to uh, mental issues and psychological issues people have. I think those are really a result of our modern diets and our modern environments and, and things that really ruin families that we can break away from. So from my perspective, everything negative that is going on with my life can, and it sounds crazy, but it can really be boiled down to nutrition and being fixed because you know all of all of this stuff ties in and where are you getting your nutritional information from or what what spurred you on to be as you know informed as you have been around the science uh, the impact the anecdote yeah just talk talk us through kind of where this passion for learning as much around mm -hmm. nutrition and specifically a carnivore style way of eating came from mm -hmm. You, you know, I've always had a really poor memory my whole life, and this is actually something I'm not going to talk about before because this is the first time I've thought of it. Uh, before, about, before about eight, like nine or ten years ago, uh, when I was a teenager and I was into bodybuilding, 
Uh, I was, I remember going on forums and like giving people advice on like what vegetables were good for them, what they should be eating, like stay like literally like standard American dietitian bullshit. You know, I remember I used to do that. Like I used to know, I used to try to eat all rainbow colored vegetables. I would try to eat like red peppers every day, tomatoes, purple for red onion. I would eat like three types of green vegetables, like spinach, broccoli, green beans. I'd have brown rice, sweet potatoes, lean meats, nuts, fruits, literally what I thought was the healthiest diet there was. And I would advocate that for other people. And that wasn't working for me. You know, I was tired all day. I was eating, you know, three to four pounds of rice and sweet potatoes just to maintain my energy. And I wasn't maintaining my energy. Uh, so I was, you know, really explored pretty much every aspect of modern nutrition science. And it wasn't working for me. It didn't make any sense. Uh, so when I, I literally started Googling, you know, what's the healthiest diet, ended up coming across a holistic practitioner named Paul Check. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- I read his book and he referenced a couple of other books. Uh, one was Weston Price, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Uh, another book was Nora Gagaudis, Primal Body, Primal Mind. Uh, Weston Price's book is, you know, it's about a dentist who explored indigenous groups. So it's basically a, a book explaining, okay, these indigenous people were in perfect health and this is their diet. And the other book, uh, Nora Gagatis, Primal Body, Primal Mind, uh, she is a neuroscientist who is uh, incredibly well-versed in in like ketogenic and uh, animal-based diets. Uh, so I kind of paralleled Weston Price's with Nora Gagatis' book uh, and kind of created my own version of that diet. And then over the course of, uh, you know, three years or so, I read a bunch of other books. I read all the paleo books. I read pretty much reading a lot of books, a lot of studies. And then I started making my YouTube channel. So over the course of the three years I've been on YouTube, you know, I've made well over a thousand videos. And as you can imagine, every single video requires two to three hours of research to do the video. Uh, so, you know, after researching for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours on every single video, I've kind of come to the point where I've accumulated a knowledge base that very few people have. And this is, and when people ask me, oh, what do you mean by research? I mean, you know, you're looking at, you could be looking at a Wikipedia page on cholesterol. Uh, You could be Googling like uh, cholesterol, vitamin B5 and CBI. You could be Googling anything. There's so many things you can search for in studies and and they have trials on everything. You know, if you want to find out if, you know, maybe you want to grow a certain gut bacteria more like lactobacillus and maybe you're eating seaweed. So maybe, okay, seaweed, you could Google seaweed, lactobacillus and CBI and you can see what happens when you consume seaweed and you know what how that corresponds to your gut bacteria there's there's so much information out there and and the baseline is looking at what these indigenous people ate in their diets because if we don't have a baseline there's just simply too much information to go through uh, so it's a combination of reading books uh, those books i got some ideas from and then i came up with ideas on my own i try to think about what we would have eaten in nature and then I take that logic and that ancestral wisdom and I add some science to it. So I'll, I'll look at modern explanations to why certain things work. Uh, like I did a video a couple of weeks ago on how arterial calcification actually occurs. And I was like, okay, well, these indigenous people didn't have arterial calcification. So there's some factors in their diet that are preventing this. And it ended up being, you know, I knew, I knew at first it was vitamin D3 and vitamin K2. Uh, but I, I mean, yes, I could just say that, but without being able to explain it in depth, it's, it's very difficult. So I would have to look up all the mechanisms, all the, you know, all the enzymes, all the cells that are involved in those processes, 
figure it out from a scientific standpoint to have every single element. So, you know, once I can parallel the ancestral wisdom, what we did in our past to some logical thinking and then to some modern science, having those three things to me is, is the strongest evidence you can have. And when we talk about studies and we, I talk about modern science, I don't mean like these BS studies where it's like, oh, we found a 10% increased risk of cancer from, uh, from me. And that, that's complete BS, but we could talk about that later. This, what, the studies I'm talking about show mechanisms. A mechanism is so when you do something, something else happens in the body. So when you eat vitamin D3, it produces hormones that cause calcium to be moved throughout the body. Uh, that's a very loose explanation of it, but that's a mechanism that happens. And if I can parallel these mechanisms to those other things I mentioned, uh, that that's where I usually come up with my concepts. And that's how I've, uh, figured out a lot of the information. And it's, it's been also a combination of, you know, my viewers, my subscribers, you know, over years, people suggesting things here and there, a lot of personal experiments. I've probably done hundreds of experiments on myself, uh, for better and for worse over the past two years, uh, all in the pursuit of health. And I feel like I'm at a point where, uh, there's, it's very difficult for me to, uh, come across new information or things I haven't heard of before. Uh, but I feel like that's a good thing. And, and uh, so I always move forward with the attitude that there's more for me to learn and, and to listen to alternative perspectives. But, uh, 95% of the time, it usually involves me in debunking something as BS as veganism or, uh, just like these common things that people just parrot over and over again that we've been told our whole lives. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, like, um, cholesterol, like for example, you know, well, yeah, cholesterol is a big one. So I, and I have even my viewers all the time reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, cholesterol, I'm concerned about my cholesterol levels. And I'm like, well, first of all, cholesterol isn't the only marker you can look at. You have to look at, you know, HDL to total cholesterol ratio. You have to look at your triglycerides. You have to look at your C-reactive protein. And these are very simple things, but it, modern doctors just look at the cholesterol number. It's, it is, and the whole origin of that cholesterol stuff was basically from a study where Russian scientists injected cholesterol into rabbits. And it, it's completely ridiculous. The whole basis for everything. It's unfortunate we're in this position. Everything we're being told is wrong and we've been lied about and, and people just don't have the, you know, the level of understanding or willingness to learn uh, for that stuff to be debunked. And this is the reason that veganism is so strong. Veganism ties in with everything we've been told our entire lives. You know, people think that meat, fruits and vegetables are good for you and whole grains are good for you. We've been told that. So why wouldn't be a vegan diet be good? And when you get sucked into that vegan diet, there's nothing sucking you back out because when you're a vegan, you're like, Oh, of course meat is bad. Of, of course, fruits and veggies are good. Of course, this has to work for me because you've been told that your entire life. So it's very hard to get sucked out. Uh, but, but there's a few elements to the vegan diet that tie in with other problems of modern life that they lie about, you know, new, health and nutrition is the biggest thing. And it's, and it's very obvious because, uh, there are nutrients that can only be obtained from animal foods. You know, you have a lot of the B vitamins, you have heme iron, you have vitamin D3, you have vitamin K2, you have omega fatty acids. You literally can't get these nutrients from plant foods. And, and when people try to make arguments for the vegan diet about these nutrients, to debunk them are very complicated metabolic pathways. Mm -hmm. Like for me to explain the omega fatty acid pathway involves me explaining, okay, there's this enzyme called 6-desaturase that is involved in assimilating all fat-soluble uh, 
all not fat soluble vitamins, all omega acids. And if you overload the body with certain omega acids, it doesn't work properly. And to get people to understand that, as opposed to a vegan saying, oh, just eat some flax seeds, they have omega-3. It's my argument is not as it's very difficult. When you have to debunk people and explain things in depth, like and it gets super complicated and it goes against what we've been told. Because you, know, you have a meal a million vegans out there eating flax seeds, and you got this guy on YouTube. Uh, who vegans don't like in the first place because he's a carnivore and eats a lot of meat, saying that your body isn't absorbing it. So it, it's it's a very difficult thing to counter all of these things. They also talk about how you know meat is bad for the environment, but driving a car is three times worse for the environment than eating meat. You know, having a kid is sixty times worse for the environment than eating meat. It's it's very like mishandled, like people have taken all of this stuff out of context and blown it out of proportion. Oh, meat is going to kill the environment. Reality is agriculture is around 9% of all emissions. Animal agriculture itself is 3%. People are lying. And everything about the vegan movement is lied about. The nutrition, the environment, and, and the third element is the moral and ethical thing. You know, they're spraying herbicides, pesticides, killing trillions of animals, grinding up. Uh, when they When they plow the field, they kill some animals, but most of the animals are killed by displacement because the animals lose their shelter, lose their food source, they starve to death. You know, birds pick them off, and then the cycle starts again. When when the food grows again, the animals have a food source, they they grow rapidly, and the whole thing goes over. So vegans are literally wrong about everything, but they're too we're too brainwashed to realize it. I think you're bang on, man. I I'm I'm on the same page. I mean, there's a couple of things I wanted to key off on that. First, um, you're talking about challenging people's value system, belief structure, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, for, I'm 38, uh, Frank, and for as long as I've been alive, the messages pro, you know, vegetables and how I should be eating lots of them have existed for as long as I've been alive. So it's a belief, it's, it's, it's a truth to me, right? And therefore, mm -hmm. when you challenge someone's truth, that's just too much, especially online, right? You, you, you're not going to win that battle. Combine that with... Uh, dare I say it, so much science, right? I, I think science is, unfortunately, can be so mishandled, whether it be by the funder, by the person performing the work, or by the interpreter, or by the media. And I just see this self-perpetuating cascade of science, which, as you've rightly said, is either bullshit science or has been manipulated and driven towards reaching a certain conclusion without knowing all the facts. But here's the question in that, Frank. Um, as much as you've read thousands and thousands of, you know, pieces of literature, uh, whether it be books or, or, you know, PubMed stuff, where's your level of confidence that, you know, you know what you're talking about? Because, and the reason I say this, is you speak to many nutritionists or many people that are digging deep in the science of nutrition, microbiome, the various pathways, is sugar, you know, truly bad for us, understanding the effects of that on all our chronic diseases, metabolic syndrome, all that kind of stuff. People say there's still lots to learn and we're still scratching the surface of attaching all of this together. And then you've got the layman like me or others who don't have that curiosity, don't have that intellect and don't have that insight and access to this information to reach those conclusions. So when it comes to you piecing together what you understand, how, how, what level of um, 
vulnerability or concern do you have about your existing knowledge, knowing that we are going to continue to learn more about nutrition? Could there be stuff you're talking about which is mm-hmm. partly wrong or fundamentally wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing I like to address things from is a logical standpoint. Uh, one example of that is vitamin D3. So a lot of times people come to me and they say, oh, I'm afraid of the sun. I'm going to get skin cancer, uh, blah, blah, blah. So I say, okay, did you eat today? And they say, yeah, I ate today. Okay, and then I say, okay, how would you get that food if, if you weren't going to a supermarket? And they say, oh, well, you'd have to hunt animals, harvest the field. So and then I'd be like, yeah, so you got to be in the sun to get the food, right? So if you can't be in the sun for a couple of hours a day without being afraid of getting skin cancer, you know, there's a lot of logical stuff. Mm. Uh, but to actually specifically answer your question, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I have, I can speak logically on pretty much any topic in nutrition, give you a general answer for it explain some of the science, explain some of the mechanisms, go into it for the most part. I would say about 90, 95% of topics. But there are people who are hyper experts in their field. And I've had some of these people on my podcast myself. Uh, so you have people that can explain more about heart disease than me. You have people that can might be able to explain more about you know the ketone pathway. There are people that, uh, you know like Tucker Goodrich, who I recently had on my podcast, is very well versed in the negative effects of vegetable oils and seed oils on your health. And I learned a few things from him when I spoke to him. My knowledge before going into that conversation with Tucker Goodrich was, uh, okay, I know vegetable oils are bad for you because they cause oxidative stress and inflammation in the body. When I had the conversation with him, you know, he explained it a bit further. Uh, he went into things like arachidonic acid stimulating appetite, which I didn't know. So I have an answer in how to apply it to your health. Like I have a general answer, what we should be doing in order to fix an aspect of our lifestyle. Uh, the difference between me and the information you're talking about, uh, might make a difference in some fields in the long run, uh, in regards to like using specific protocols to address individualistic issues, but as, as general terms and generally to have a solution for a problem, it's usually more obvious than developing that incredibly complex understanding of mm. the subject. I'm not like I, I'd be the first person to admit that I don't have that intense knowledge. I have a very good general knowledge of many topics in nutrition. Uh, a good example of this is uh, when I used, I used to work in restaurants and their uh, wine knowledge and, and wine is a big thing in restaurants and you have all these wine regions and you have to know all this stuff. And you might think some person is an expert on wine and knows so much about everything. And I've, you know, I've worked with people that can, you know, talk about, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of wines that they've tasted off the top of their head. And then you have other people in that wine industry that are on a different level. You have people that can talk about hundreds of thousands of wines. It's, it gets really crazy. So there's, there's definitely different levels of understanding, but getting to that higher level of understanding, uh, you know, you have to say, okay, what does it apply to? That's, and it does help you figure those things out. Like Tucker Goodrich with arachidonic acid saying that it stimulates appetite gives a pretty good explanation of why, you know, sometimes when people eat certain types of meat that's factory farmed and factory raised, it stimulates their appetite. Now I knew beforehand that the reason people overeat is because there's a lack of nutrients in, in that meat and it's not satiating their appetite and it's throwing their omega ratios off. So before that conversation, as I said, I knew the solution, I knew it through your omega ratios up. I just didn't know the specific science. Uh, I, I, I think that... Uh, yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, tell me if, you, if I'm right in this uh, assumption from what I've heard is that 
sounds like you you use one logic and two you use a an evolutionary frame of reference and mm -hmm. I, I think that you know for as much science as we do i don't know the, the conclusion i'm reaching more and more with you know the 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 guidance we're given you know the more you dig into this stuff the more money that's spent the more efforts that's got gone into the you know understanding the metabolic pathways and so forth we've come to the same conclusions which is do what your ancestors done you know like it really it really all, always seems to boil down to that rest move eat you know eat good food eat whole real local fresh seasonal food it all sounds so bleedingly obvious yet mm -hmm. we need the logic to give us the comfort that you know we, surely we've advanced right surely we've adapted surely we're different now and we we should know mm -hmm. more but the reality is we've we've had this generational wisdom this ancestral wisdom and we, we've just fucked with it for the last hundred or so years and and we're, we're struggling to get back to nature that's what it kind of feels like for me do you feel that a lot of what you do is through that evolutionary frame of reference yeah it is but unfortunately you know diet is just one element of it you know you have things like you know chlorine and fluoride in the water supply you have uh modern emf issues like emf radiation from smart meters uh, cell phone towers uh, you have things like air pollution you also have a lack of grounding uh, grounding is just being i don't know how much you've looked at it's being in contact with the earth uh, you know the earth has electrons which help uh, remove free radicals from the body the body reduces inflammation so there's so many elements you know that we can address in our health that are a problem with modern life as well you know yes the diet is a big element to it but you know you do have to address you know things like what i just said as well as like circadian rhythm sleep cycles there's really unfortunately 100%. so much there's unfortunate there's an unfortunate amount of things to address uh, and how we can fix these issues in our modern lifestyles but it's kind of funny how if you just like went back into you know the forest and lived with well maybe not the forest but like if you lived with like a nomadic plains indian tribe you wouldn't have to worry about any of these things you just have to live like them. like you don't have to actually you just go back to doing what they were doing you know it's not you don't have to read thousands of studies and thousands of research exactly. to figure okay okay how do i block emf how do i do this how do i do that how do i ground myself without being on the earth there's there's so much there are mod, there are modern solutions to all those things you know you can get you know there's water filters and you can make sure your water is sourced properly you can like start wiring stuff like an electrician and ground yourself to the you know the, the earth while you're in your apartment you could uh you know black out your room and get your circadian cycle you could get some red lights and stand in front of it like a nut job you could do a bunch <laughs> of different things like you could get really crazy with it and you could fix your you could fix it that way but i don't think that's practical to fix i think that's uh very unrealistic and for me you know an ideal world was you know everyone has you know we're living in a place we're living you know more spread out we have our own land where every person is raising animals raising food we certainly need more people involved in these lifestyles you know whether it's providing food for other people or just providing food for themselves talk to me about that that's a great point frank talk to me about the desensitization of people to their their food supply and whether that's an issue today and what i mean by that just uh, i don't know if that makes sense to you but you know most people don't have to think about how the food gets on their plate mm -hmm. whether it's the the plant foods or the animal foods talk to me if you think that's an issue behind some of the kind mm -hmm. of emotional and ethical uproar about the food that we're eating today mm -hmm. yeah as i've said I'm, I'm a jack of all trades master of none so 
I've worked in restaurants, I've worked in butcher shops, I've been on farms, I, I've, you know, I've seen firsthand a lot of these aspects of our food supply. And although I am not an expert in, um, and any of these in particular, like the combination of me knowing me having, you know, I was on the show, I was on master chef season nine, you know, I have culinary knowledge. I have understanding of food. I've been following this diet for seven years. I know what quality food's supposed to be, you know, that combined with seeing how we raise animals and uh, how food goes through the chain, especially, you know, uh, the food waste in restaurants and catering events. I've seen hundreds of pounds of steak thrown away. You know, it's, it's disgusting. It really is disgusting. Um, I can't talk enough about food waste. I think if we had to address the disconnect with the food supply, the first thing to address would be food waste. But, 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 you know, seeing the animal being raised, seeing it go from, uh, from the farm to the, you know, the grocery store shelf to me has always been, you have to think of how much stuff has to happen. Like, okay, those apple trees were planted 40, I don't know how long ago apple trees take to grow, but you know, the apple trees were planted years ago and you know, they grow. And then, you know, we're fertilizing the soil, we're spraying it with stuff to remove, you know, bugs and whatever. And then we finally harvest the apples. It requires a harvesting machine. You know, we spray the apples with herbicides and pesticides. We have to like coat them so they stay mm -hmm. shiny for the supermarket. Uh, the farmer has to take them from the farm, load them into a truck, drive them to a distributor. Uh, distribution center sends the apples, flies them to supermarkets. You know, the, they get to the supermarkets or the distribution center at that, and maybe in New York, they get sent out to the markets, then the markets, uh, you know, a truck comes in, they have to move that too and sort of, it's, you, you know, your products are touching three, four, five different hands before they get to you. I buy, you know, I try to buy food from local farms and I've recently started a meat company and we're, you know, we're buying food directly from the farm and we're getting it to you as quick as possible. We're cutting out as many middlemen as we can because that that's really what you have to do to get a quality food, a fresh product and be more connected with your food supply. If you know that, okay, the cow was raised on that farm, this guy cut my meat and then I got the steak. It's not like, oh, you know, the apple was grown here. It's, it's the, the more hands, the more it has to be transported, uh, the more things involved. And it's not even that the real issue is you're doing it with crappy, low quality food. You know, these foods, these apples that are gigantic didn't exist years ago. You know, the soil is so depleted of vitamins and minerals and nutrients and plant foods don't have, you know, the vitamins and nutrients our bodies need to grow. So we have this gigantic food supply chain built around crap. You know, we're, we're literally shipping crap everywhere. And this doesn't even include processed food and grains and, 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 and all of that stuff. It's just completely crazy. And, and switching this kind of distribution and all of this focus over to quality foods. I mean, I don't think that would ever happen, but that's what would need to happen in order for us to become healthy. But, uh, you know, we spoke about, you spoke about earlier, you mentioned that the money, the profit involved in these things, they established these systems, you know, in the, I believe it was in the 19, I want to say towards the 1960s and seventies was when this agribusiness, you know, this, this gigantic conglomerate of all these companies started and they saw that, okay, if we take the cows off pasture, we can use the land to grow more wheat and corn and soy. And then we could feed the byproduct from that grain to the cows and we can make processed products with the grains and they can make a shitload of money because the profit margin on grains is absolutely absurd. It's like the profit margin on grains is in like the hundreds, like you make hundreds of times more on grains than you do on meat. 
like your investment on meat is, uh, I might have these numbers wrong, but the point is the farmer spends, you know, about a dollar to raise the animal, might sell it for three or four dollars a pound. But when you have grains, you're spending cents, like two, three cents to sell it for, you know, a dollar. So the profit margin is, is much higher on grains. So they saw this opportunity to make a lot of money and they're stuck with it because you have to imagine you have all these fields, all these operations that are set up to deal with this. You know, you can't just put all the cows back on grass. You can't just uh, grow vegetables and fruits and healthy stuff instead of corn, soy, and wheat. It's not, it's not overnight. It's, you can't just change that. And with the amount of money they're making and with how few people are aware of, you know, being healthier, it's, it doesn't really matter. You know, at the end of the day, regardless of how many conversations I have, regardless of how much nutritional research I do, you know, we all live in the real world and in the real world, it's like you're, uh, it's like you're walking around and you're made out of diamonds and people can just take, they don't realize that they can just like literally take handfuls of diamonds off of you or something. That's at least that's what I feel like. It's like, I feel like I'm disconnected. That's probably a terrible analogy, but <laughs> the point is I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I feel like, I just feel like I'm disconnected from the world and where everyone else is disconnected from the truth. It's just this combination of, and even people, even a lot of people in the carnivore community, in the carnivore diet, in the keto diet, you know, they go back to doing their day-to-day -day stuff. They don't understand. And this is why, when I say jack of all trades, master none, it's about having every piece of the puzzle. That's what kind of separates me from a lot of other people. You know, I know about not only do I know about the carnivore diet, I know how you could do a vegan diet. Op I know more about vegan diets than vegans do. I guarantee, you know, I, I know more about fermentation than, than vegans do. I know more about quality plant foods than vegans do. I know so much about food and so much culinary knowledge that, you know, the, the more you educate yourself in contrasting things, you know, if you, if you want to learn something, you have to know why you could be wrong. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one thing that's helped me learn a lot. It's like, if I was like, okay, well, broccoli is good for you. Can broccoli be bad for you? You know, okay, well, you know, whatever, I always try to find contradictory information on what I'm doing. Uh, so that's why I feel like all of the conclusions I come to, you know, look at what makes you right, look at what makes you wrong and people not being able to look at what makes them wrong. You know, their sense of pride, you know, what's they're growing up in their culture with their identity. You know, what you said earlier, they don't want to detach themselves from that. I, I have an anecdote just to kind of key that point. Um, I got into a bit of a dispute online. I don't get into many, but maybe a little bit more now recently, just because I'm getting a little bit more vocal about where I see some of these kind of misdirections. And I, I spoke about, you know, the kind of proliferation of fake food, fake meat. Um, and someone came back to me and said, Steve, like, why have you got a hang up about it? Like, you're not eating it. So just let it be. And more importantly, if you're saying it's so, so much about profit, Surely it isn't. This supermarket that's now going to be selling you this fake meat versus real meat, surely they're making the same amount of money. And I know for one, they're 100% not. The shelf life makes uh, wheat-based products cheaper. The fact that they, they, as you say, they cost much less to make makes them cheaper. The margins are significantly higher to make a processed food that can last much longer. And then the argument then continued saying, yeah, but you know, surely it's healthier to have more veg. People eat a crap mm. diet. If they had a few more bits of veg, that would be good for them, right? I said, yeah, well, maybe, but are they eating a few more bits of veg or are they eating a bit of processed food that somehow is gloriously wrapped up in this ideology and this beautiful picturesque idea that they're eating more vegetables because they're eating this vegan sausage? I'm like, guys, come on, please. I mean, that that just 
kind of it just yeah i think yeah it seems like it's more about not it seemed to me those plant-based burgers seem like more about not eating meat but when, when you understand the ingredient profile of those burgers they're actually they're legitimately one of the unhealthiest things you could eat they're poison i would say eating eating a cookie or a croissant or any any like what was it, a honey bun or one of those big tax big Texas cinnamon rolls. I think those would be just about as healthy as this meat. I mean, yeah, they have a higher sugar content, but you know, the, these meat products that they make, Loads of additives. Not, not, not that we should be calling the meat, uh, vegetable oil is the main issue. You know, they're made with canola oil. It's this oxidized rancid oil. That is literally the reason we have heart disease. You know, the root cause of heart disease is essentially inflammatory vegetable oils, linoleic acid in the diet in large amounts. And that combined with pea protein and you have dozens and dozens and dozens of ingredients to make this thing look and taste like meat and i've i've i actually did a video a while ago probably a couple months back uh tasting this meat and if you smell it it smells like poison that came out of a laboratory when it's raw and if you taste it when it's raw it tastes like poison that came out of a laboratory but if you take this meat patty and you grill it and you cook it and you salt it with pepper and and seasoning that changes it to actually make it a food, a meat food that it wasn't. I'm not. I'm not saying it was good, but it was passable. I could see how people can eat it if, if it's prepared make. in a certain yeah. way. So there are certain. They, and the, I'm gonna be honest. These people are goddamn geniuses. They made mm-hmm. poison taste like almost meat. I don't know how the hell they did it, but they did it. So you got to give them some credit for poisoning everyone. It's so hard to do. So talk to me about um, what you think are the, the underlying tenets of a bad diet. So before we get onto the carnivore diet and you describing what that is, as you look through the modern diet or you look through a kind of veg focus or vegan diet, what do you think are the biggest issues, right? Other than the fact they're not getting meat or quality meat, what's within that diet that most concerns you? Okay. So the two, mo- the two elements to fixing your diet are one, the removal of inflama- inflammatory foods and two, uh, adequate nutrients to perform you no know, metabolic processes. If you don't remove in, inflammation from your diet and you don't have the bodybuilding nutrients your body needs, you can't be healthy. If you can't do those two things, there's nothing else to worry about. Uh, the common things that result in inflammation, you know, obviously sugar, grains, vegetable oils, processed foods, uh, alert allergies, foods you're allergic to that you're unaware of, uh, and the lack of nutrients ties into the animal foods. So it's two very simple things, but coming to those conclusions on what exactly to do and how to do it is is where things get a little complicated and kind of go against, and a big problem with that is going against what we've been told our whole lives. So Frank, can you go into that a little bit more, right? So we're talking about sugar, grains, and vegetable oils and how uh, they're inflammatory. Without us getting too geeky, can you just kind of double click on that just a little bit to give people some substance to give them and encourage them to consider managing or minimizing their doses of those things yeah i mean just look at what an average american eats so if you wake up and you have cereal with skim milk you're having grains and sugar and sugar you know without any nutrients really if you have a deli sandwich for lunch you're having more grains you know maybe you have some chips more more grains maybe you have a snack a candy bar some fruit some nuts you know and i mean fruits nuts seeds not not the end of the world but you know, adding sugar, adding omega-6 fats on top of an already nutrient-deficient diet doesn't mean good things. Uh, I mean, if we talk about popular dinners, I mean, pasta, pizza, burgers, 
I don't think those things are too far off of what most people are eating. And all of those are heavily, heavily grain-based. Uh, of course, pasta, of course, burgers, of course, pizza. And uh, on, on my YouTube channel, I've made bread healthy. Uh, I've done on uh, my Patreon, I've done a healthy pizza recipe. I'm going to do a healthy chocolate chip cookie recipe probably within a week or two. So you can make these foods good, but the problem is food quality. Uh, uh, people bring up blue zones a lot. Vegans love bringing up blue zones. Uh, but Americans and blue zones consume the same ratio of plants to animal foods. Both Americans and blue zones consume about 30% of calories from animal foods and 70% of calories from plant foods. The difference is the food quality. When you don't have a high quality animal food, uh, you know, it doesn't have the nutrients it's supposed to have. And when you don't have a high quality grain, it's more inflammatory than it's supposed to be. Okay. Okay. So are you, are you suggesting that we, we shouldn't be alarmist and saying avoid all sugar, avoid all grains, avoid all seed oils? And that they can feature uh, dose dependent, or are you saying so, like, if, so if you let, had yeah, to guide me, people, they should remove all three holistically and fully? Yeah. So vegetable oils are poison; they should never be consumed. Uh, sugar can be consumed in certain forms, and so can grains. So what I will say is, if you remove those things from your diet, grains and sugar, you will be healthier, uh, without a doubt. Can you be healthy while still consuming them? And this ties back to indigenous groups. So, you know, Weston Price observed there were some indigenous groups that got as much as like 40 to 50% of their calories from just bread. But the other 50% was coming from animal foods. So it seems like as long as we can get, you know, about 65% of our calories from animal foods, we will be in optimal health. That being said, the groups of indigenous people that ate more animal foods, like 70, 80, 90%, they were taller more physically impressive and better developed. And, you know, they had larger brain size and, and things like that. So can you make a chocolate chip cookie healthy if you use like heirloom varieties of wheat, high quality raw cacao, raw butter, really good ingredients? I think you can make a cookie that would be healthy and nutrient dense. And there's nothing wrong with eating something like that. Granted, you're not allergic to it. But, you know, I mean, I would make be making it with, you know, those really high quality ingredients, some raw honey. You know, I would never use white sugar. I would never use modern wheat. I would never use the, the milk chocolate that's average in the supermarket. Uh, so I'm okay with consuming anything that's made from quality ingredients. But I think the question that's really being asked is, is it okay to eat a donut from Krispy Kreme? And I can't, I per, like personally, from my perspective, I don't think we should be consuming really any of these modern foods to a large extent. Is it bad if you cheat on your diet once in a while and have a slice of pizza? I don't think so, but it's not, there's no arguing that it's, it's not a net negative. Yeah. There, there's a hedonistic value, but there isn't necessarily a nutritional value in cheating once in a while. So that comes down to quality of life, enjoying your life, having some social fun with your friends and family, not feeling like a social outcast. If you, if you feel that your diet is restrictive, but the idea, at least what I'm hearing from you is, uh, you know, we, we consume an inordinate amount of those three things in the majority of our food across the day. Treating those as isolated 10 percenters is probably a better place. And if you can in increase the quality of those things, you'll be in a better place, better, even still. Yeah, one thing I have to tie in here is, uh, you know, we spoke a little bit about, all, like all of these things are modern issues. You know, there are things that native people and indigenous ancestors didn't have to deal with. 
when you add these modern issues, that creates things. We so we basically because of a lot of modern issues outside of diet, we have to be more strict with our diet because you have EMF, because you have lack of physical activity, because you have lack of sunlight, because you have all these things, your diet has to be more dialed in. Mm. I mean, yeah, there are people, there are people that can smoke to 110 years old and there are people that drop dead of lung cancer at what, 50. There are people that can drink and drink alcohol every day and live to hundred. And there are people that have liver failure at 45. You know, there, this has to do with the environmental factors, the diet, the person's individual genetic tolerance yeah. to the food. So what you're doing is you're rolling the dice. You can be one of those people that can have pizza and beer every Friday and live to 100. You might be one of those people, or you might not be. So that's that's the dice you're rolling, essentially. You have to be able to address all the factors in your lifestyle and diet and see if you're capable of doing it. Love that. Love that point. I think the bioindividuality is important. And the reality is about risk management, right? It's living optimally in risk management. And I guess that comes down to the individual where they yeah, sit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm personally, I mean, the reason I have my perspective is because I'm the opposite of those people that smoke and drink and live to a hundred. I'm, you know, I was, you know, a big problem with what we're doing now is, you know, we're giving these babies soy formula and not mother's milk and they're not developing properly. Their hormonal systems are all messed up. Uh, they have health issues and gut microbiome issues their whole life. And I'm one of those people. So I've always had really bad acne, food allergies. I haven't been able to, you know, eat a lot of things my entire life. So if I go out, I've actually never been able to drink alcohol without vomiting it all up. Wow. Not once. Not once. So I've gone out to drink and I've tried to enjoy myself. And then at 2 a.m. I'll be throwing up in my house. And and that, and that, that's that. Uh, so I literally couldn't drink if I wanted to uh, because my body doesn't process it. Uh, that might be because of the liver function being ruined by Accutane. Uh, you know, if I, I can eat, I, I mean, yeah, I, I can go out and I can eat a steak tartare that has ingredients in it that I might not want to eat. Uh, I can go out and have, um, I mean, I can't go out and have pizza. If I have pizza, I'll probably ruin my gut. Like if I have certain foods, I'll ruin my stomach. Um, so you're a bit but, of a canary for us all, right? You're, 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 I would say I'm on the extreme end for sure. I would say I'm, I'm not in, I'm not in like a life there. I mean, there are people that are way worse off than me that have like Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis that can't even get out of bed. You know, I mean, I just finished, I, I just worked three days straight without sleeping. So by no means am I physically incapable of, you know, functioning in life. You know, I'm very energetic, very, you know, physically strong. What I'm incapable of doing is eating those foods without having stomach distress or acne or, or gut issues. That I'm unable to uh, to do do things that other people can do. I suffer a lot more. Understood. But as a result of your diet and the kind of holistic way you manage your life, you're in a better spot. So let's talk about that a bit. So I understand that you follow a carnivore or a raw carnivore type diet. Explain what that is. Like, Call out the ingredient or the component parts of what makes up your day-to-day -day food and nutrition? Yeah, so when I, so one thing I like doing is I cook my meat blue rare. So my meat is raw, but it's seared on the outside for flavor, mm -hmm. uh, just to enjoy it. So I would say probably 97% of the meat is raw and it's just seared on the outside. I personally don't, I don't see, I don't think there's a difference there and it's a lot more enjoyable. That's what I've been doing for seven years. So literally raw, seared on the outside for seven years. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll pants here, some liver pants here, some brains. Uh, but when I, if I overcook my meat, if it's not raw, I don't actually like it. Yeah. So this kind of came about unintentionally. I don't actually like meat if it's not raw. And 
I think I, I haven't been tested for it, but I think I might have an MTHFR gene mutation. Uh, it, it's just a gene that, you know, the body doesn't really process B12 as efficiently. So even on a carnivore diet, like my B12 levels aren't super high. So I might have the MTHFR gene mutation. That might be why I like red meat so much. Uh, really rare. And that's because the B vitamin content of red meat is a bit higher when it's raw. Right. So I think, I think people without the gene mutation might be able to tolerate cooking meat better. Uh, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is the quality of the food. That will determine the nutrient content of the food. So whether or not you cook the food isn't really something I would get caught up on. A lot of my viewers do. Uh, so I'm like, as long as you have quality animal foods in your diet, you can cook them however you want. Just eat them. You know, don't be caught up about raw versus cooked. Uh, but like today I have some lamb brains. I have some like chuck roll and shortbread. Uh, that's what I'm going to eat today. Is that and, one, one meal a day or a couple of meals? Yeah, I eat usually once a day. Uh, sometimes I eat twice a day, but usually it's just once a day. Uh, so I'll have, I, so our, our answer, I know I keep bringing up our ancestors, but they ate, they always ate three types of food. They ate cooked food, they ate raw food, and they ate fermented food. These three preparations of meat are a constant in every single indigenous diet. So they're literally every single group of people rotted or fermented food in a way, whether they just left it to rot and then ate it later or whatever. They cooked food, so they cooked some parts of the animal, and they ate some raw. They ate some parts of the animal raw. So I try to replicate this in my current diet. So I try to eat ferment. I try to fer I ferment my own meat. Uh, you could eat cheese, for instance. You don't have to be a weirdo and eat raw meat out of a jar. You could, uh, you could eat cheese. Uh, I try to eat raw food. So I mean, like maybe putting an egg yolk on steak tartare, uh, or by undercooking your meat like I do. And I eat cooked food. So I sear the outside of the meat sometimes. Sometimes I cook my meat a little more. And I and, and I try to replicate this because this is trying to tie into the, the gut microbiome of what these people used to have. You know, I'm like, all right, if I can replicate their diet to this degree, that, that should be an indicator that I should be able to achieve what they had. Uh, and, are, you, are you eating the food? Because a couple of things you just, did he say you're having brains today? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what animal did he say? Lamb. Yeah, I got lamb brains. Uh, oh. I've, had a, I've had a couple different types of animal brains. Yeah, so that kind of freaks most people out, including me, if I'm honest, man. I'm, I'm, I'm embracing the nose to tail thing. I just haven't gone yeah. there yet. What, why do you do that? Do you do that because you want a complete balance of nutrients with the limited foods you're eating? Or is yeah. it because you yeah, like it. it, like really well, like it's, it? It's both because uh, each, each nutrient you need parallels to a food. And in instance, the reason I'm eating brain is for omega-3 EPA, DHA. Uh, I don't really like fish that much, and okay. I, I'm allergic to eggs. So I can't eat eggs. I'm allergic to fish. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm allergic to eggs. I don't like fish, and brains are really my only option. And I like brains a lot because the texture and the and it reminds me of eggs. Okay. So I it's kind of a replacement for me for eggs, and and my I mean my grandparents used to eat this stuff all the time, like the Italians. And even if you speak to your grandparents, I'm sure they might have eaten this stuff when they were kids, like brains and My eggs and some brains. Uh, yeah, she they, they suck all the bone this, marrow out of bones. She does, does all of that. And she's she's only like 60. So like people, yeah, if you if you yeah, the thing to keep in mind is if you have a high quality animal, if it's raised properly and the food is prepared properly, it'll taste good. If not, something went wrong along the way. Okay, so an, another question and. 
this is about the kind of the raw concept. So I know you have livers as well and stuff like that. I've most recently, Frank, um, just gone through a few days of feeling like absolute shit. And I've been I've been stepping up my, my liver intake. I actually had some uh, liver raw just from a supermarket. Don't know where the source came from. It could have been that. It could have been the facts. And I don't want to sound like a quack, but I may be an oxalate dumping. I, I, I have no idea really what went on, but I've been in bits for the last few days. And mm. my wife's of the opinion that I probably had some, you know, some raw liver with maybe some bacteria in there that just kind of went sent me off on one, maybe. So with that, it's kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, do I do I want to go down that path of eating organ meats that are raw, knowing I potentially could be giving myself the same situation again? What's your experience with, you know, bacterial infections from having mm-hmm. un, uncooked raw organ meats and other types of meat? So just let me, how do I want to phrase this? Um, if you eat a food you've never eaten before, regardless of what it is, you might have some initial diarrhea or loose bowel movement. If you have a loose bowel movement after eating the food two or three times, if like you're eating the food for a fourth time and you're still, you know, to, for lack of a better term, shitting your pants, mm-hmm. then, then you have, then there might be a problem with the source of food. The problem could be bacteria, though it's unlikely bacteria. It's more likely the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio of the food and the handling of the food. So issues with raw meat come from cross-contamination. So take that liver, just burn the outside, sear it a little bit, you know, get it hot, and you'll kill the bacteria on the outside. Then if you have bacterial concerns, that would remove it. But if you're not having loose bowel movements or diarrhea, and you feel like crap, this ties into nutrient synergy. Uh, so you, you I don't was, just, I, I was, I, I have been shitting through the eye of a needle. Just, just say it's clear, not trying to be too graphic, but uh, I've, okay, I've been on the toilet okay. for three days straight, man. Yeah. Yeah. So if you eat the food once and you have stomach issues, that that's, that could be your gut bacteria adapting. I wouldn't eat. That's why when you eat a food for the first time, you don't usually want to eat more than like a bite or two, mm. but after you have a bite or two of it, then you should be able to eat it normally. It usually takes a little while to adjust. Uh, I've eaten, I've been eating raw animal foods for a very long time. And the only time I ever got sick was, uh, when I, I, I took some oysters and I shocked them and I froze them, which is a no, no, you should never freeze oysters. And then I ate them and I got sick from the oysters. That was the only time I've ever been sick. Uh, I've eaten probably thousands of pounds of raw meat and raw liver. I've never had an issue with it. Uh, but the nutrient synergy can cause issues for people. So, uh, vitamin A is very high in liver. If you don't have adequate vitamin D3 to counteract that, you might get diarrhea, you might have issues. You might have a lot of issues. Nutrient synergy is very important. Uh, you need to have certain nutrients with other nutrients. And omega-3 to omega-6, I've mentioned several times, if the omega-6 content of the food is high, uh, your body might not digest it or absorb I can't, like for instance, I can't eat duck or chicken from a conventional market because it's high in omega-6 because they feed the, the duck, corn, and soy. Mm-hmm. So when I eat duck from like a Chinese restaurant, I can't eat it. It makes me sick. Uh, but if I had, you know, a pasture-raised duck, that's fine. Uh, and then what's another good example? Maybe when you oh. eat heavily rendered fat like tallow or lard, when you render fat, it makes it more available to the digestive system. And your body just can't really produce enough enzymes to absorb the fat. It can cause gut issues. It doesn't get absorbed. It, dysbiosis, stuff like that. There's a lot of elements. I have a, a video titled Carnivore Constipation, uh, which is an overview of bowel movements and things that might cause digestion issues on the carnivore diet. Uh, but 
you know, this is a pretty in-depth thing. There's, there's a lot of, you know, it could be nutrients, as I said, just to summarize briefly, it could be nutrient synergy. Uh, it could be omega ratios of the meat. It could be, you know, maybe you haven't had the food before initial gut bacteria adapting. It could be cross-contamination uh, from the butcher shop. Mm. Uh, maybe the animal was sick and had, that's um, very unusual though. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It could even be something else, but I just, I was just curious as to your advice on eating raw. Yeah. The last thing I'll mention is a grain fed conventionally raised animal has different strains of bacteria on the meat than a grass fed animal. So when they feed the animal grains, it raises the acidity of the stomach and that creates bacteria that is acid resistant. So if you eat like a raw grain fed liver, the strain of E. coli on the grain fed liver it might be like 10 times more powerful than the uh, the strain of E. coli on the grass-fed liver. That 10 times figure I just pulled out of my ass. But my point <laughs> my point is the E. coli is far more powerful and more acid-resistant on the grain-fed liver than the grass-fed liver because of the the stomach and what they're feeding the animal. Understood, man. Now, cool. Thanks for clarifying that. Look, how do we um, – oh, no, no. Actually, the, the last point on your diet, do you, do you eat pork, chicken, cheese, you know – I know some carnivores will really extend mm -hmm. the term carnivore and include anything that's animal-based or from mm -hmm. an animal. Where are your limits? Is it, it sounds like you're mostly red meat and then organ meats, but where do you flex? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, when I go out to eat, I, I like getting wild fish. That's usually a safe bet for me. I get, I get sashimi. I can't afford to eat that, but uh, I, do, I do splurge sometimes and I go out and I get some raw fish. Uh, for the reason I eat, mainly red meat is because of all my food allergies and my intolerances. Uh, for my, I purchase food for my family too. So, you know, I, my family goes through like three quarts of raw cream every week. My sister eats raw cheese, like a French person. Uh, you know, like my, I have pork, Iberical pork in my fridge right now that I sell on Frankie's free range meat, this beautiful red colored pork. Uh, we have pastured chickens that I get and, I, I eat, I eat the pork and the chicken from time to time. Uh, I, the problem is I go like the, I'm, I really love prosciutto, but the problem is it, like, it's so salty. Like sometimes I eat so much, I just get like so bloated for a few days. So I try to stick to food that I know I won't indulge too much in personally to root, like to, to, um, cause there are people that can eat and this ties back into the individual tolerance, you know? I forgot what the study was done on, but there was like, I think it might've been in Sweden in the middle, somewhere in the middle ages, or maybe a little after that in like the 16 or 1700s, they ate so much salted fish. They consumed like, it was something crazy. It was like 50 or 60 grams of salt per day. I think even more like an absurd amount of salt. And some people have the ability to, to process things differently there. You know, they're they're, the antioxidant capabilities of their body, their kidneys, their organs, they're able to tolerate high amounts of salt, high amounts of certain things. So for me, you know, to eat a, a heavily salted roast chicken every day, uh, to eat a bunch of, you know, heavily salted bacon with sugar added for me to do, uh, I just end up indulging in things that'll, that'll cause me health issues. But no, by all means, my family, you know, eats chicken, pork, red meat. You know, I buy bologna and hot dogs and sausages from a local farm for my sister. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with eating those foods and I would personally eat them if I could tolerate them. And part of the goal of my meat company is being able to not only provide myself with meat, but provide people with meat, uh, for people like me that can only tolerate certain things and also just want high quality animal foods in their diet.
Love but yeah, cheese, cheese, che- like dairies. If you can tolerate dairy, raw grass-fed dairy is amazing. It's a nutrient-dense food. You know, pasture-raised eggs are amazing for you. Wild-caught fish. I think I think fish is the real sleeper here because you know there were literally uh, hunter-gatherers that only ate shellfish, yeah. and they were in just as good health as everyone else. Uh, so fish is a big sleeper. It's just any animal food, really, if it's high quality, is great to eat. It's just I'm. It's just we're limited in our selection, unfortunately. Yeah. We, what's really crazy is when you look at what the Native Americans used to eat. They didn't just eat duck. They ate 15 different species of duck. They didn't just eat cod. There were 10 different species of cod. For every so these people ate hundreds of different species of animal foods in their diet. What do we eat now? Beef, pork, and chicken. It's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. Actually, yeah, yeah. Do you do you think? I mean, I'm guessing the answer is no. I just want to kind of clear this out for our audience. Do you feel there is any part of your diet that is lacking? I don't know. Like, for example, maybe put it this way. Do you think that your bloods or your health markers uh, could be improved if you included any vegetable foods or or fruits into your diet? And if so, what would they be? I mean... what you have to understand is when I took that acne drug Accutane, that kind of removed my body's ability to absorb carbohydrates and digest carbohydrates well. Uh, so personally, I don't benefit from consuming those foods. Uh, my blood markers are, I mean, my triglycerides are insanely low. You know, my it's like 70 or something. My blood glucose is always really low. Uh, so my C-reactive protein is low. Uh, I increase my testosterone. Uh, yeah, everything's really good. And what's actually crazy is I I always had really low testosterone my whole life. And it, my testosterone went from 200 to 1100 in a couple of months. Wow. Uh, when I was, I did, I did, um, did some weird stuff. I was, this is where, uh, so I also have, uh, I, 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 I had this idea of like natural hygiene products for a while. And I wanted to put vitamin D3 in my moisturizing cream. And I was rubbing it on my testicles. So I, I came up with this. One of my viewers came up. I, I said this in the testosterone video. I was like, all right. So I rose my testosterone because I was rubbing vitamin D on my balls and eating uh, and eating shellfish, eating high zinc shellfish. And one of my viewers said, oh, Frankie's ball grease. So now I literally sell Frankie's ball grease as a hygiene <laughs> product, which is hysterical. But just so you know, I came about this because I, I noticed that you know, certain organs of the animal gave people certain properties. So I figured eating high zinc foods uh, might correlate to fertility. And I also, and this crazy story, one of my clients told me, he was like, oh, I knew a guy that that installed a window in, his, in the ceiling of his garage. And this guy would sit in a chair with his balls in the sun for an hour a day. It was like the craziest, <laughs> it was the funniest story. I was like, okay, so let me get this shit. This guy drilled a hole in his ceiling and sat with his, you know, sat on a ball, <laughs> a chair with his balls hanging out in the sun. So I thought that was funny, but I was like, you know what? I'm an open-minded guy. Let me try it. And it's crazy how much my testosterone actually went up. Just by getting out in, uh, in the net, get, getting it's naked unusual. in the it's, sun. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. And I'm actually doing some experiments. Because my testosterone went from from like 200 to 1100. And that's absolutely insane. Like pe- most people huge. believe that. Most people would say, oh, he's using steroids. I've never... I've never used steroids in my life. I would never touch them. You see this head of hair, you think I would risk that shit, you're out of your mind. Uh, so I would never touch steroids. I've never used them in my life. Uh, and I just think it's unbelievable. I've never seen anyone else do that naturally. Uh, so that, that is uh, great. I've improved my my testosterone with doing some of the 
just eating more meat and cutting out some of the other stuff that perhaps will slow me down and, you know, just doing a whole holistic, you know, improving the quality of my life. Yeah, high, more actually, uh, one other element I forgot to mention was high cholesterol yes. intake, high cholesterol intake too. It sounds like it's, you know, every cell in your body is made of cholesterol. Cholesterol is the hormone precursor. So if you don't have enough cholesterol to make testosterone, it's, you can't raise your testosterone. Is there anything around your blood markers that is a cause for concern or you're looking to improve uh, that you, you're, you're trying to experiment with right now? Uh, what's really crazy is uh, one, one, I think I showed this in my blood work video a while ago. One, one day my LDL was like 380, which is absolutely insane because your total mm. cholesterol is supposed to be below 300. Yet one marker, my LDL was 380. So people were like, oh, Frank, you're going to drop that on the spot. The next week, my LDL was below 200. So the variance in blood work just over the course of a week or two can be incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Dave Feldman and the cholesterol yes. code and all the experiments that he does on cholesterol. Uh, being concerned about blood markers and, and general guidelines, there, there are several issues with it. One is you know the variance from week to week, from day to day. Uh, there can be a large variance depending on what you're eating. Uh, it's, it's a sign we're looking for something in the context of a standard American diet. If you had a high cholesterol level, yeah, that might actually be a concern. But, uh, the other thing is these reference ranges, were they wrong when they made these reference ranges? Mm -hmm. And one thing I say is, okay, look at the vitamin D D reference range. It's like 20 nanograms per milliliter to hundred nanograms per milliliter. 20 means you haven't been in the sun for five years. A hundred means, well, you can't even get to a hundred. So how the reference range encapsulates any D3 level you could have. So it doesn't make any sense. So when you go back to look at what D3 levels the indigenous people had, then you get an idea of what they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But there's, so there's, there's nothing in your bloods, whether it be, I'm guessing iron's in a good spot. You're looking through your uh, C-reactive protein. That's good. Yeah, every, everything blood is, work is red yeah. blood cells, white blood cells. As you go through it, there's there's no shockers or concerns for you. No, everything is everything is good. Uh, yeah, I mean, all, everything is usually in the middle of the reference range. Uh, sometimes my sodium is high if I ate prosciutto. I, I noted that once my sodium was a little elevated, my chloride was high when I ate a lot of prosciutto and salted and cured foods. So that might indicate that, you know, my kidney function isn't as good as other people and I should try to salt my food a bit less. I'm just trying to think. The whole metabolic panel was average on the spot. Uh, I mentioned my I mentioned I might have MTHFR because my my B12 is like in the middle. You know, you wouldn't you would think it'd be higher on yeah, the meat-based diet. Uh yeah, mine isn't mine's like in the I think mine was like seven to eight hundred. It wasn't too crazy high. Uh, you know, like creatinine isn't that like creatinine isn't that high, creatine isn't that high. Um, no gout. The, no, no. Because uh, people would expect the, you to have gout, right? <laughs> yeah, they would. I mean, yeah. the problem is, I actually, uh, I, I was wearing these. I wear these. I, I usually, I'm on my feet all day. I'm standing for, uh, I'm standing for like 15, 18 hours a day sometimes in these work boots, and that that actually, like, I've I've had any inflammation I've had has been from the stress of my previous jobs. So when I used to have to like, you know, work all day and do a lot of manual work, my like, I would actually get swelling in my calves. I looked like I had the calves of a bodybuilder because of, of the work boots I was wearing. But on this diet, like you're able to recover and heal so much from anything. 
Uh, it's 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 really interesting. This has to do with the nutrient content. Uh, but even by modern conventional standards, my blood work is is perfect. That is that is great to hear. So close closing on this point again, just so everyone can get get the message crystal clear. Your blood works in good shape. You're in good health. Uh, you're eating exclusively meat and organ meats for the most part. You don't have any vegetables at all. No. And do you feel that there is any space or necessity for any vegetables in your diet today? Do you think do you think you would change your mind on your current position to improve your health, or do you think there really is no ad additional net? positive for any vegetable add-ons to your existing way of eating? Well, let's phrase it this way. I've eaten more meat than two people would eat in their entire life so far, over seven years. I did the math. Uh, so I've eaten enough meat that if, you know, if meat was bad for you, I should probably be dead right now. Uh, but in the context of plant foods, actually, let me go back. So yes, even though my blood work is good, even though it's okay by modern standards, all of this stuff, I, and not to curse, but I don't give half a shit about what the blood work says. Mm -hmm. I really, I really don't. Um, I, I just, I, I mean, I want people to know that. Like, I mean, yeah, I will look, I, I like using blood work for certain things. Like I like to see iodine levels. I like to see D3 levels. I like to see B12 levels to know we're doing things properly, especially with a lot of my clients. But a lot of the modern things that people look at for blood work, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, C-reactive protein is important. This is important. But when people say, oh, your cholesterol, blah, 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 there's certain blood markers that I really don't give a shit about yeah. and I need to, and the, those are the ones that need to be debunked and you have to understand, okay, that's not the real issue. This is the real issue. You know, look at the triglycerides. Don't look at the cholesterol. Uh, that needs to be clear. Uh, but, you know, constantly bringing, going, tying back to the ancestral stuff, when these people ate thousands of plant foods, so they, they ate hundreds of animal foods and thousands of plant foods. So the diversity of the the plant foods in their environment was incredible, and I we we don't have access to wild plant foods. All of the plant foods we eat now are modern. I mean, I would love if I had my own farm one day, you know, grow my own herbs, grow my own spices, seasonings, fruits, vegetables. I'd love to grow my own stuff and and have it uh, from a culinary perspective. You know, I've I've worked as a chef, I've worked as a cook. I really love food from that perspective. But if I can't get a quality product, I don't want to eat it or use it. So uh, that's. You know, like there's there's a farm out in California called A.B. Thomas Produce, and they, they sell sweet potatoes to like Whole Foods and stuff. And Whole Foods has five different varieties of sweet potatoes they sell. Uh, there's the, the Garnet and the Jewel Yam, which are two orange-colored sweet potatoes with that typical like carotene flavor. Uh, they sell the Yellow Hannah sweet potato, which is a very mild white flesh potato. Uh, they have the Purple Oriental a Japanese potato that has white flesh on the inside. That's one of my favorites. And they have a Stokes purple potato. And then you also have like Okinawan sweet potatoes. Uh, so there's a lot of even just like sweet potatoes that even we have access to now. And there's a lot of interesting uh, culinary aspects of them that, you know, a lot of people can eat. I mean, I can't eat sweet potatoes. They come out looking like sweet potatoes. Uh, so I don't digest them, but uh, some people might. And I don't see a problem with, you know, I cook, I, I, I just, I cook them for my mother every week. I take I bake the sweet potatoes, I I mash them up, and I mix in equal parts raw cream, and you have this delicious, healthy uh, food. It's it's amazing. So I think plant foods should be consumed if you can get quality stuff. And are, it's really are they, in net, are they a net benefit though? Right on on top of a 
diet that you currently have, which you're doing partly because of your sensitivities, I understand that. But if you could tolerate other plant foods, not just taste or hedonistic value, but from a nutrition perspective, would you get would you get an add-on, an extra? Would you get an uplift in your health and nutritional profile if you're able to tolerate some other uh, veg-based products? I'm just trying to un- un- underline this point because most people would say this this style of eating, a, a carnivore style of eating, is devoid of fiber, devoid of uh, antioxidants, devoid of much of the things we've been told are essential from a from a plant-based perspective mm-hmm. and you're having none of them yeah. and you're good. So are, yeah. you, are you good but could be better if you included them or do you think you're, you're in op- optimal health but the only reason you don't include them is personal preference and sensitivity versus the fact that you think they're either wrong for you or any of it. I'm just trying to understand kind of where you place because obviously you give your family vegetables and you're comfortable with that uh, as a decision. But do you think as a result, they're getting better health outcomes than you because of the plants in their diet? I'm glad you hammered the hell out of this point because my brain is so fried after not sleeping for three days because of my work schedule that uh, I actually remembered something that's very important to this. So antioxidants are contained in animal foods. You know, raw meat, raw liver has a lot of vitamin C antioxidant. Uh, Vitamin E is contained in animal fat. So meat does have antioxidants. And the most important antioxidant, glutathione, the precursor is amino acids. So a high antioxidant diet is actually probably best achieved on a meat diet because that is also the lowest diet that would have inflammatory stuff in it as well. Mm -hmm. So you do get plenty of antioxidants on a meat diet, but uh, there are certain wild, wild plants that are very high in vitamin C, very high, like the uh, kakadu plum is very high in vitamin C. Uh, There's another, what the hell's the name? It's from... Camu camu, I believe, is a South American fruit. Uh, there's currants, uh, like black and red currants. If I had access, if I had access to fresh, wild, sour fruits that are very high in vitamin C, I would probably consume them. Uh, a natural source of vitamin C, because I feel like I have all the elements of my diet down, but having just extra vitamin C is pretty helpful. Uh, anti-vitamin uh, vitamin C is antimicrobial. It's antihistamine. Um, but, but the lack of access to a, a fresh, wild vitamin C source is the issue. Like I could buy kakadu plum powder. I could buy camu camu powder. I could buy acerola cherry powder, but I don't want to use those. Would I see a benefit? I'm actually going to actually can't, I, I can't, actually can't say what I will use those for cause it's a secret right now. But, um, I, if I had access to the like high vitamin C fruits, I would probably try them and see if they benefited. But the the problem is like the fruits we have now don't have like one percent of the vitamin C. These wild fruits I'm talking about have. Okay, so you don't see the value in the domesticated, industrialized no. plant foods that we currently have access to day to day. No, but what's interesting is if you taste a food, a nutrient tastes like something. So like if the, you could buy like a ascorbic acid powder, like vitamin C powder, and if you taste the powder, and then you taste a fruit that has a high vitamin C content, you can tell. Uh, so th- there is a bit of variance depending on the quality of the food. Uh, I mean, y- at the end of the day, you really have to experiment and see how you feel. As much as I, as much as we can speculate and say things and say, you know, this is bad. You know, if you if you eat a tablespoon of honey and then you can run two miles faster than you could without, it, and that, that's 
and do it. <laughs> yeah, then do it, right? Because in, indigenous people arguably would have had similar consumption of plant foods to what we have now, if we can relate it to some degree. But the overarching context of plant foods needs to be energy. That's, you know, we were surviving in nature. You know, we needed to obtain caloric energy. And if animal fat, if animal protein was not available for caloric energy, and in most cases it wasn't available for 100% of your diet, uh, then they would eat plant foods. And even when they had as many animal foods as they wanted, they weren't carnivores. You know, they would still eat certain plant foods for yeah. enjoyment. Uh, so I think there is an element of energy metabolism that people can benefit from carbohydrates to some degree. Uh, I just, I, I mean, I, I feel like I could run through some drywall all day, so I don't really, I don't think I need to. <laughs> no, but, uh, that's cool, man. Listen, I appreciate you kind of allowing me to double click into that because I think it's uh, an important point to overcome for people to explore uh, eliminating food groups from their diet to see how they feel because the current status quo, the current generational wisdom is doing that would be suicidal. So I'm glad we kind of dug into that a little bit. Let's close on this then, uh, Frankie. Um, the carnivore diet, I, I think currently, whilst gaining in momentum with the likes of Sean Baker and, the, uh, and just generally the kind of keto crowd and people supporting more animal-based nutrition, I think it's on the rise. I think it's positive. But I do think it still has a quackery context and it does have a kind of macho bravado, kind of two fingers mm -hmm. up to everything yeah. kind of yeah. culture. And I think people don't like that. What is needed to clean up this diet, this way of eating and making it more socially acceptable for people mm -hmm. to explore a meat dominant diet. It doesn't have to be pure play carnivore, but going, mm -hmm. leaning in on meat as a guy, as a girl and doing that freely and comfortably and knowing that you're making sound choices and you're not some freak that's just, yeah, putting two fingers up uh, against, you know, animal welfare, sustainability, nutrition yeah, and just yeah. all that. Mm -hmm. Back when Sean Baker was on the Joe Rogan podcast in December of 2017, I actually made a YouTube video complaining how the carnivore diet was being marketed as, oh, a meat diet, you could eat meat and be healthy. And reality is those two elements we spoke about earlier, the removal of inflammation from your diet and the increase in nutrient density. So you know, the carnivore diet was being marketed as this diet, hey, eat meat, remove inflammation. They were missing the most important element, nutrient density. They never they never sold it. You know, if the, if the carnivore diet was originally sold as a minimally inflammatory, high nutrient diet from the organ meats, the full, the balance of variety of animal foods in your diet, if it wasn't viewed as a steak only diet initially, we would probably have been in a much more approachable uh, point that we are now. And I've been preaching, and this is really what I've been preaching on my YouTube channel for the past two or three years. Unfortunately, there's this like zealot and cult-like mentality in the carnivore community. Yeah. I'm actually banned from the main Reddit carnivore forum because really I, yeah so what happened was i've been saying for about two years you know when, when i first came out back in 2017 saying you need to eat organ meats you need to eat quality fat they shunned me like like sean baker michaela peterson were just steak only stuff like that i was shunned in the carnivore community i would make posts about eating liver and they would remove them and ban me and now people are saying eat some liver you know you're eating liver people saying eat some liver eat some fat and I'm like, yeah, at the end of the day, Frankie boy was right. But now they're kind of pissed. They're like, oh, that arrogant prick from New York. He was right. And now he's rubbing it in our face. Hell yeah, I'm going to rub it in your face. But, you know, the thing is, it, it's it's 
I, I was preaching this stuff all along and then they kind of shifted their mentality to what I was saying. And now it's kind of changed because people realized that the all meat diet doesn't really work because it's not close to what our ancestors ate. Our ancestors weren't eating ribeye steaks. They were eating fat. They were eating organs. They were eating some plant foods here and there. You know, there's quite a bit of variety there. So uh, I've, I just wanted to bring up that I haven't really been welcomed in the carnivore community uh, and I haven't really been a part of it until recently my you know my youtube channel got really popular and i was marketing my diet because you know my diet does fit under the constituents of what a carnivore diet is but the actual carnivore community their their mantra their motto was just eat meat drink water meat, they don't meat care and salt. yeah yeah they don't care they and that's still what it is really they don't care if you're um you know they don't care if you're eating grain-fed chicken crap you know they don't care if uh you know you're taking electrolyte mix they, they don't they don't seem to consider a lot of things. You know, they're afraid of raw meat. They they fear monger raw meat and stuff. It, you have like Germans. Like it, it's a cultural disconnect. The carnivore community has been influenced by an American mindset of what meat is supposed to be. Uh, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I'm part of the World Carnivore Tribe, which I think was put together by Sean Baker and a couple other uh, communities that are pro carnivore styles of eating. And I would agree that there are there are some people that are quite purist, and I would say zealots. Yeah, there's that cult, and they get called out. And I'm glad they get called out because you know, the thing I can't stand about the vegan movement is the cult-like mentality of that movement. Last thing I want to do is identify with a way of eating. I just want to eat optimally. And I want the, us to be be comfortable to allow people to have the flexibility to make their own choices, but ground, you know, the guidance in fact. And the reality is, as you've said, like just red meat only, it just, it does feel too limiting, both hedonistically in terms of enjoyment factor and I think nutritionally. I will say though, you're right, that these groups are definitely starting to embrace organ meats. Uh, I, I see it all the time now, all the time in these groups. So I think, you know, you're, you're your efforts are being noted, man. It's good to see. But mm -hmm. getting back to the point, like, how do we make this accessible? How do we make this, how do we clean this up and stop making this some cowboy weird kind of a, a cult-like diet? It's tough. I think it'll happen with time. Uh, the problem is, so there's a lot of push against it. Now, people go on the carnivore diet, they'll realize that you know, they'll come across the grass-fed information, they'll come across the fat information, they'll come across the organ information. Uh, part of what I'm trying to do, uh, and I hate mentioning my meat company so many times, but I'm looking to provide approachable products so people can do this without having to, you know, choke down raw liver, without having to eat spoonfuls of beef tallow. I'm looking to procure and market this diet in a way that people can just increase the amount of animal foods that are quality in their diet and be able to do that. Now, now from a pure carnivore standpoint, it's very difficult to say what the, the best next step is. It's, it seems like the growth of the diet is very limited and, and there, there's no re and because there's so much disconnect in the carnivore community, you know, you have a group of people that are like raw primal dieters. They only eat raw. You have like the meat only the steak group. You have the people like me who are kind of do a little bit of both here and there all over the place. And the community doesn't seem to want to agree with each other and, and form one unified group. And the problem is uh, not that like the keto community doesn't have that problem because keto has a very general guideline. Just eat fat at this percentage and keep your carbs a certain percent. 
So they all identify and they're all happy with following that keto style diet. Uh, the carnivore diet has people that really disagree with each other and how people should be doing things. And, and the, the, I think at the end of the day, keto has a belief system. The vegan diet has a belief system. The carnivore diet doesn't. And without a belief system, you can't, you can't really instill that into people. Okay, I think it's a TBD. We've got to we've got to work this one through. Uh, but it is an arms race, I think. You know, it's an arms race for two reasons. One, um, you know, I, I project forward, uh, Frankie, and I see I see a concern about our diminishing value and therefore access to red meat and generally meat in general. I, I'm concerned that you know you project 10, 15, 20 years from now, and if if the, the kind of movement of big food and kind of vegan ideology kind of follows through, we're going to be in significantly less meat than we are today. That that upsets me. So mm -hmm. I think there is an arms race to kind of push against that disinformation and that kind of profiteering. At the same time, I think there's an arms race to coordinate uh, a message around all the benefits of a nutrient dense and diverse meat dominant diet but it's got to be done in a way which is more accessible because right now it looks freakish and it looks like as if you're going to hurt yourself yeah. and you're you're just killing loads of animals and uh, yeah as i say you, you're being belligerent and you're being selfish and uh, somehow we've got to clean that up i agree 100 percent. i think uh, i don't think the carnivore diet or the carnivore community uh, is a solution to you know the problems we're suffering from now i think you know, I mean, I think even like the anti-vegan, the anti-plant-based stuff is is a bigger precedent. And just educating people on the importance of quality meat and incorporating meat into their diet. Uh, there definitely needs to be a venue for doing that. Uh, and that, that's the real goal. You know, we don't want we don't want to market it from the carnivore's perspective. It yeah. wants to be just, you know, eat some steak. You need these vitamins. Uh, hopefully. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I'm on the same page. I'm not too optimistic with all this plant-based BS going on. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, people realize that, you know, uh, the success rate of veganism is very low. Uh, I mean, but hey, then again, they've been poisoning people for 50 years in the United States and getting away with it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again. So let's close, uh, Frank, on just giving people you've, you've mentioned a few of your you know, lines of business. You mentioned your mm -hmm. podcast, but let's be explicit. Let's call out yeah. the handles, the URLs and what, what these businesses are. Yeah. So my main is my YouTube channel uh, at Frank Tofano, youtube.com slash C slash Frank Tofano. Uh, if you guys want to check out my meat products or my hygiene and cosmetic products, we have Frankie's free range meat.com. Uh, we ship mostly US. So if you guys are in the UK, you could check it out. We do have some non-perishable stuff, but like pemmican and jerky and tallow, but you have to pay for shipping. Uh, Frankie's Naturals though, uh, we have like fluoride-free tooth powder, uh, aluminum free deodorant. I have Frankie's moisturizing cream with vitamin D3. Uh, we have a bunch of products that do ship very cheap internationally. We ship first class. Uh, so you can check that out at frankiesnaturals.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, uh, both Frank Tofano. Uh, I'm on Patreon as well. And uh, that's about it. But yeah, what just check about, out my YouTube what channel. About the podcast. And also tell me about your consultation service as well. Yeah, I got way too much stuff going on. Uh, <laughs> so the Perfected Health podcast, uh, you could just, it's on Spotify. I have it on iTunes. Uh, we have it on podcast.perfectedhealth.com. And the episodes are also on my YouTube channel. Uh, the thing about my podcast is I actually film it with the viewers, the, right. the person I'm interviewing. So it's a video as well if you want to watch that. Uh, that's just basically how to perfect your health. 
Uh, and each guest talks about how they perfected their health uh, in a certain way. So uh, we also do have a carnivoreforum.com. Uh, if you guys do want to take a part in a more you know, lackadaisical general carnivore community. Uh, but if you guys would like to reach out to me for one-on-one -on -one consultations in regards to improving all aspects of your physical health uh, through diet, sun, water, exercise, uh, you could shoot me an email, frankatufano at gmail.com. Perfect, perfect. Listen, thank you for being so gracious with your time. Uh, I'm curious as to why you've been working straight for three days without sleep. That sounds like a big <laughs> no-no, man. But listen, I appreciate your commitment to this conversation, this commitment to the cause, great work you're doing, fantastic YouTube channel. I really love it. And more importantly, I'm, I'm grateful that someone who is younger, that is entertaining, that is relatable to a broader spectrum of, dare I say, the people that are quite missionary about the vegan movement right now, or people that are on the edge, uh, I think they would find you accessible. So I appreciate everything you're doing, man. Uh, I can't wait to one, get this released and two, just continue our relationship. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, Steve, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. All right, man. Take care. So guys, what did you think? I think Frank is a great guy. He cares about sharing the truth. He's devoted many, many hours to developing his knowledge and ensuring he gives people the right information. And most importantly, his YouTube channel is immense. So make sure you get over to there and check out some of the content he's putting out. It's to the point. It's, it's a little bit combative at times, but we need that. We need to have a strong dialogue when mistruths have been put out there and perpetuating. On top of that, I just wanted to say that Adaptation is a labor of love for me right now. I've been on this for almost a year and a half. We haven't monetized the business yet, but we're working on doing that pretty soon. But we don't take adverts. We don't do Patreon uh, subscriptions. We don't do anything like that. All we care about right now is making sure that all the work I'm putting into giving you the content, the knowledge, the insights that improve and optimize your life, that hopefully that propagates. It gets to the people that also care about those same things. So please do us a massive favor. And if you know anyone else who is open-minded enough and curious enough and interested about their own development, about them being their best, then screenshot this episode from your podcast platform, put it on Instagram, tag me or put it on Facebook, do the same. Email your friends, speak to them face-to-face, -face, find people that you believe this could help. Help them, help us. Let's get this message out there and make Adaptation what it deserves to be which is a voice for the people helping you be your best. And yeah, just making the world a slightly better place. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day, guys. I'll speak to you soon. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.